You're listening to the Passion Church Podcast. Our mission is to help people win by living a genuine Jesus-filled life. If you are ever in Cameron, Missouri, then come and join us and be a part of the Passion Church family. You can visit our website, passionchurchmo.com, to find out more about us. Matthew, the 21st chapter. Let's start with verse 23. And we're going to read down to verse 31, I believe. All right. And when he was coming to the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching and said, By what authority dost thou these things, doest thou these things, and who gave thee this authority? And Jesus answered and said unto them, I will also ask you one thing. Which if you tell me, I in likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. So then he poses the question, verse 25. The baptism of John, whence was it, or where did, in other words, where did it come from? Was it from heaven or of men? And they reasoned with themselves, this is the religious crowd, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say unto us, why did you not then believe him? But if we say of men, we fear the people, for all hold John as a prophet. Verse 27. And they answered Jesus, and they said, We cannot tell. And he said unto them, Neither tell I you by what authority I do these things. But what think you? A certain man had two sons, and he came to to the first, and he said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. And he answered, and he said, I will not. But afterward he repented and went. And he came to the second, and he said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir, and went not. Whither of the twain did the will of his father? They say unto him, The first. And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that publicans and harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. Father, I thank you for the reading of your word. I ask, Father, that you help me to craft and to hone together, Father, what it is that you want to say to this congregation today. I thank you and I praise you and I worship you and I glorify you and I magnify you in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Let me give a quick backstory. The backstory in this particular situation is that Jesus has just cleared the temple. He went in and he drove out the money changers. He turned over their tables and he made quite a spectacle in the house of God and gave a stiff rebuke to the religious crowd. He said, my father's house is supposed to be a house of prayer, not a place where you, where you uh, are, th- are thieving and stealing from the people. But it should be a place where we come together and worship God, worship the power of our Heavenly Father. But you've turned it into a den of thieves. You've turned it into a place no different than any other marketplace out in the world, just that you're doing it on the inside of the walls. Well, obviously, they're not real happy with him. But what really upset them more than anything was he clears the temple on one day, comes to the temple the next day, and heals people in the temple. On the Sabbath. And we all know how zealous they were about the Sabbath day. And so now they're upset with Jesus. 
They're angry with him. They have been for a long time, but they're really angry with him now because he publicly stood before the world and said, you are nothing but a brood of vipers. You're thieves, and you're making people twice the sons of hell by your preaching, by the lifestyles that you live. And so they're not happy with him. And so they're looking for a reason to trip him up. That's what brings us to the text where we are. They're looking now for a way to capture him. They're mad at him. He's been healing in the temple. And so that's what they want to know. Who gave you the authority to work these kind of miracles? You certainly didn't get your authority from Caiaphas, the, the head priest. And you certainly didn't get it from the Sanhedrin. And you certainly didn't get it from the Sadducees. So who gave you permission to come into the temple and act like this? Come on now. If you want, if you want to start a riot, punch a religious button. If you want to start a riot, punch the religious crowd and find out what will happen. And this is what makes the story of Jesus so fabulous, is that Jesus, like his predecessor John, are nonconformists. Now, I'm not talking about not being conforming to the gospel or conforming to Christ or conforming to God. I'm talking about not conforming to man's ideas about God. And Jesus and John, neither one conformed to the ideas or the ideologies of the fence laws that were established by the law of the prophets and the priests. They were only subject to the law of God, not the law or the man-made laws or the man-made rituals of the laws and the fence laws that were created that caused bondage more than freedom. And so I love this story because Jesus has come by. He's cursed the fig tree. Everybody's seeing all this great stuff that's, that's happening around him. And Jesus is, is teaching and, and doing things and healing people. And he's the only ministry in town that's getting things done. If you want to upset people, do something in your church that, that shows things are getting done. If you want to upset the religious crowd, go into a public square, lay hands on the sick, and watch somebody come out of a wheelchair. Many people will gravitate, and they, they'll, they'll proclaim this the, the work of God, but others will stand back and say, oh, he, no, that's, they're wrong. And those people, you know, they, they pray funny, and they do things funny. And if you want to incite a riot, the way to do it is to do something outside of what we like as church norms. John the Baptist was prophesied that he would be the forerunner of Christ before he ever showed up on the scene. His ministry only lasted six months because they couldn't start ministering by Jewish law until they were 30. So by the time he reached the age of 30, his ministry started, but it only lasted about six months before he was imprisoned. He didn't get a very large window. But he was the forerunner of the one to come. And what I love about John is John did not look like 
any other priest, even though he came from the Levitical priesthood and his father was a priest, his father was a priest in the order of, of the temple, John himself did not look like them. He didn't wear an ephod. He, he wasn't fancy in his dress. In fact, it says he wore camel skin clothing and he ministered in the desert regions and he had the most peculiar diet because he ate wild locusts and honey. Now there's controversy about what all of that really means. Some say he ate carobs, as, and they call that the, the wild locust. But the Greek word and the Hebrew word for that are one and the same, and it's grasshoppers, ladies and gentlemen. And grasshoppers were allowed in the Levitical diet. <laughs> so that very well may have been his source of protein. Mm -hmm. Now think about this. We got a guy with long hair and a beard because he's Galilean, right? Long hair and a beard, wearing camel skin clothing. Probably wasn't the sweetest smelling clothing. And uh, he, his beard, it, now, now the honey may have been bees honey, but it could have been uh, a fig uh, fig nectar. So one way or the other, he probably had a sticky beard with grasshopper legs stuck up in his beard. <laughs> Come on now. We're talking about a nonconformist here, all right? He had wild hair, wild beard. He, he had sticky beard, may have had some grasshopper legs, may have had grasshopper legs stuck in his teeth when he was praying for you. I don't know. But he was a nonconformist, and he didn't go to the temple with his ministry. He went to the wilderness. Why? Why did he preach in the wilderness of all places? Well, it just turns out that between the cities, the major cities in the Middle East at that time, the routes between those cities went through the desert place. And even though a desert to us sounds like a, a place where there's no sustenance, evidently fig trees go real well out there in the desert. And evidently, grasshoppers live in the desert as well. And it was a place where he could meet people traveling from city to city, and especially during Passover, because that was where the majority of the caravan would be coming through the desert and the wilderness to get to Jerusalem. So he strategically placed himself in a place away from the temple. And it was frustrating the temple crowd because they were losing numbers on Saturday. They were losing numbers at the temple because... John was preaching in the wilderness, and people were going out to see this strange new evangelist prophet, Mr. Grasshopper Teeth. If nothing else, probably curiosity drew people to John just to see who is this wild man and what does he got to say. And of course, you know that John was a prophet. He was after the order of Elijah. He said what was on his mind. And he told the truth whether you liked it or you didn't. 
He had no problem standing in the crowd, whether you were a, a pauper or a king, and saying, repent of your sin. Turn from those man-made traditions and get your heart right with God the Father. Don't be subject to the do's and don'ts and the fence laws of those who travel around in piety trying to look for an exalted place but humble your heart in the presence of an awesome almighty God because making yourself to be something is actually nothing. Making yourself to be nothing in the presence of the king is the way up into the kingdom of God. Mm. And I love John's message because John's whole entire message was not only repent and get your heart right, whether you were the king or you were a pauper, but he also made sure that no one worshipped him or got to thinking he was somebody because his one and only message is make straight the way because the Lord is sending his Messiah. Make straight the way because there's one greater than I who's about to arrive. Make straight the way. Don't get your eyes on me. Get your eyes on the one who shall follow me. His shoes I'm not even worthy to unlatch, but make straight, make straight, make straight straight. The prophet said that he was a voice in the wilderness crying, make straight the way of the Lord. And his entire ministry, his entire campaign was put your focus on Jesus. Put your focus on the Messiah. Put your focus on the one and only one who can reverse the curse of sin and put mankind on a path of righteousness. Get your focus on the real Savior, not on all of these pseudo-things that religion has created. Hmm. Who better to introduce the Messiah than John the Baptist? Who better? I've, you know, I, I've heard scholars wonder why John was so wild and why he, why he was so crazy. And it wasn't until I was standing here on the front row that the Lord gave me the understanding of that. He said, I wanted John to be a nonconformist. John was ordained to upset the religious crowd. Oh, come on now. Do you think in 2019 God might be looking for some people to upset the religious crowd who are more concerned about pleasing God than they are pleasing men? I think God has a master plan. And I think God wants to bypass the religiosity of 2019 because our church system, oh my, I don't know why I got into this. I didn't intend to. But our church system is as confused as a termite in a wooden yo-yo. We don't know if we're up or if we're down. We feel like our life is just spinning out of control. Why? Because the church doesn't even know what the rules are anymore. The church has so uh, skewed grace that we're wrapping our arms around sin and calling it okay with God. 
God. I've seen people and, and religious organizations fight vehemently to hold on to sinful practice that the Word says is sinful. At least in the times of Christ when he walked the earth in the times of John the Baptist, at least they were kind of trying to hide some of their sin. And today we just bring it right out in the open. We don't care. We just want the whole world to know that we're going to do it our way and attach Christ's name to it. Whether it's right or it's wrong, we're going to do it. And I think God's looking for some nonconformists. I think God's looking for some people who look a little different, act a little different, speak a little different, walk a little different, talk a little different. I think God's looking for people who can leave miracles and signs and wonders behind wherever they've been. I think God's looking for a generation that'll rise up and be different than every other generation that we've known up to now. Why did God save you for such a time as this? Because God wants something different from this generation than he has any previous generation. God has saved you to this moment and to this hour. Why? Because because he wants to raise up a group of radical believers who, like John the Baptist, don't care what you think and don't go to the, the most populated place. They take the message wherever God would have them to take the message. And when they get there, God will allow the crowds to come to them. God will allow the crowds to come to them because he knows of the purity of their message and that they won't be tainted by the system. I don't know about you, but I've had enough religious systems to last me a lifetime but I want an encounter with God Almighty when we come into this place and we raise our hands you feel the power of God moving I want to see people leap out of their chairs healed forevermore I want to see people run to the altar and addictions and heartaches and hardships fall off of their life I want to see people stand up here and they stomp and they shout as Jezebel has to leave their life I want to see people come up here and their lives are transformed forevermore. I want to turn the house of Passion Church into a passionate outreach filled with evangelistic voices that'll go into the wilderness and say, we know the way and we can lead you to the one. We're not the one, but we can lead you to him. Follow us, follow us, follow us. Don't conform to the religious world, but be conformed to Jesus Christ. I feel his presence here today. I, I do. In the verse, let's take a look at this real quick. I'll get to my message and, and finish. Look at this. The religious crowd, they're upset with him because he's healed people. He's turned over their tables. The people were worshiping when he came into the city. Just prior to this, he rode into the city on the colt, and everybody's praising him and and, of course, you know, he knows he's the Messiah. And, uh, but they're fighting that because they don't want any uprising with Rome. And so they've purposely made themselves his enemy. And so they come to him, and they say to him, who gives you the authority to teach this way? That's in verse 24. Who gives you the authority to do this stuff? Can, can you imagine? At 12 years old, he was already in the temple astounding them with his knowledge of the word because they didn't know they were talking to the word. And here they are, the religious crowd, are telling the Messiah, who gives you authority? 
That's like me standing before God and saying, why did you do such and such? Why? Who do you think you are, God? You gave me a handle. On, have you ever read that scripture? It's on the potter's vessel. So, so sometimes they, they'll argue with him. You didn't give me a handle, but you gave him a handle. Why? And we have these kind of petty arguments with God all the time. But think about this. The religious crowd, they're always the first to fight anything new in God or what they perceive to be new. There's nothing new in God, but the things they perceive as new. When you, when you become a nonconformist, just get ready. It's coming. Every great move of God that has happened since the 1900s has been fought and fought and fought and fought and fought and maligned and mocked. And some of those moves are still being maligned and mocked today by others. Pentecostal Holy Ghost movements that blow people's minds and work great and wonderful and mighty miracles and raise up great mighty women and men of God. Yet they're mocked and maligned as though they were nothing but heretical rubbish. And on this day, the crowd, the temple crowd, is standing in the face of the miracle worker. Not a one of them all combined, if you'd have brought the whole temple crowd together, could have produced a miracle. But they have the audacity to stand in front of the Messiah, the miracle worker, and say, well, who gave you the authority to do this? And why would you bring it into the church? And so they're having this little jousting session verbally with Jesus. Now, this was very popular in the, uh, in the, um, in the Middle East, and it still goes on today. These people, when they get into a conversation, it's all based on insult. Now, this is going to mess up your image of Jesus, but you got to see something. That was the custom of the day. It's still the custom of the day in the Middle East. That you verbally joust with somebody. And if I could borrow some terms from fencing. When you parry, you... you take a jab, you lean in to get your opponent. And so this is what the religious crowd is doing right now. They are parrying. Take that. Whose authority do you think you operate from? We'll, we'll, We'll knock you out right here because we'll stump you. And if we stump you, we win. And I love how Jesus handled this because Jesus was the master at this game. Because every answer came from God. How do you beat God in a verbal joust? Mm, Think about that. But how many of us try to do it? How many of us try to do it? How many times the Lord told you to do something? You go, but God. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da. You don't know. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da. You don't know. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's omniscient. He knows everything. Mm. So my flimsy excuse is going to work, right? Well, <clears throat> what Jesus did was he came back with a repost. That's the defense whenever you're fencing. He came back with a repost. 
He says, I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to answer your question with a question. He was, if, if you watch in the Word, Jesus done this over and over. He was a master. You know, the only person that ever beat Jesus in a verbal joust, and I think he let her win, was the little woman who said, but even the, even the dogs get the crumbs from the master's table. And I think he let her win. He said, thou hast answered well. In this case, he goes, let me ask you, since we're going to have a little verbal joust here, since you want to know about my authority, I'll answer you. I'll tell you who my authority comes from. But first, answer me, where did John the Baptist's authority come from? By this time, John's dead. By this time, King Herod's already killed him. So you tell me, where, where was John's authority? Because he knew they were upset with John too. Where, where did his authority come from? I love their answer. They were stumped. If we say it was from God, he's got us. Because we rejected his message. If we say that authority was just John acting on John's desire to be something, then the people will rise up because they believed he was a prophet and we're going to have a problem. So they took the safe way out. They said, well, if we say God, we're guilty. If we say man, we might cause a riot. So they took the neutral position. We don't know. They knew good and well, but they were playing like, we don't know. Gosh, boy, that's a stumper, Jesus. They were playing it off. We don't know. You tell us. We don't know. Gosh. It reminds me of what Jesus said in Revelation about the church of Laodicea. Well, I wish you were hot or cold, but you take a neutral position. I wish you were in or out, but you're taking a neutral position. I wish you were hot waters to bathe in or cool waters to drink, but you're this tepid, nasty-tasting, spew-it-out-of-my-mouth thing, and I don't know what to do with you. I don't know what to do with you. You're of no good to the kingdom because you're neither refreshing nor on fire. You're not good for the kingdom. You're just neutral. And what good is neutral? Ladies and gentlemen, may I impose this, and I'm going to get in a lot of trouble with the church world, but I don't care. I'm a nonconformist. The church world has pulled it into neutral, and we've left it there. We stopped being relevant. We've stopped being either cold or hot, but we've put it in neutral. That's not to say that heaven won't be for people who are in neutral. I'm not saying that people in neutral could never make heaven. What I am saying, though, if you're going to stay in neutral, you are no kingdom good. Not good English, but good point. You're no good for kingdom purposes 
if you're in neutral because you're so bland, ain't nobody going to drink from your waters. Can I tell the truth? If you're hot, woohoo, get me a tea bag. If you're cool, oh yeah, refreshing. But if you're in between, And this is exactly the position the church chose while trying to verbally joust with Jesus. He came back with a question so pointed that either way they answered it, we're guilty. No matter how you answer that question, if you choose one side or the other, you're guilty. So they chose neutral. But you tell me anybody in neutral that's ever gone anywhere. In fact, I I want to challenge everybody here today. When you leave here, when you go out to the driveway and we leave church today, just put your car in neutral, rev it up, see how far you get. I can't wait. I'm rushing outside after church. I want to see this. Because a church in neutral can do nothing. But a church that's hot, man, you can come in. There's nothing better I love in this life more than when we when we travel is to find. I always say, find a hotel with a hot tub. Mm. I don't want to give you any visuals, but a fat man in a hot tub, water level goes up. But there's something about that warm water agitating around your body that just makes your bones. Feel good. And there's nothing like a refreshing cold drink of water or on a hot day jump into a cool swimming pool. What upset the church world is that Jesus nor John could be put into a religious category. They knew the words from John were prophetic, they knew his message was right. But they opposed him. They knew that this man of nonconformity was a a man who was powerful. And Jesus, in this one statement, revealed the heart of the church of the first century. We won't get with you, and we won't say anything against you. We're just going to get quiet. We're not going to commit either way. We're just going to play it safe. Ladies and gentlemen, in 2019, there is no safe place for Christianity. The world is stirring and agitating against the message of Christ. There are sects and groups and people out there who want to silence the voice of Christianity. And when I say out there, I don't mean in foreign nations. I mean in our own nation of America. They want to silence and squelch our voice. They don't want us to have an expression of Christ. And they certainly don't want signs and wonders and miracles because then it would prove there is a God. And if you prove there is a God, then you must conform to the will of that God. And nobody 
Nobody wants to conform to the will of God. We just want to put it in neutral and do our own thing. He got the church because they chose to go neutral. And when they went neutral, they admitted we knew John was right. We knew he was of God. But we didn't want any part of it. Because John preached repentance. Oh. John preached turn and keep on turning. John preached come out from among them and be ye separate. John preached that there's a better way, a better path, a better life than this religiosity that we have built and stuffed into a fancy building somewhere. It was never God's intention for us to just live in a fancy building and make no effect on our world and blend in so that all we were was just a source of irritation to the worldly systems around us. No, we're supposed to turn those worldly systems upside down with the miraculous power of God and go into the highways and the byways and compel them to come in and to go into the wilderness places and preach the unsearchable riches of Christ Jesus, that word that cannot be exhausted. It is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our God never changes his call nor his mandate has ever changed for the church, but he's looking for a group of nonconformists who will get up and shake off religion and get about the Father's business. Wow, I got to quit, so I'll make this quick. Look at this. He exposed their heart, and then he pronounced this declaration and judgment over them. Understand that all of the things that Jesus fought in the New Testament was a church system. And the futility of the church system. He never counted them out of the kingdom, but he did let them know you're not going to go forward in kingdom purposes because of the way you are. Here's what he pronounces to the church of the day. He says, I hate to tell you, boys. Since you are so noncommittal, then I don't, I'm not obligated to answer to you whose authority I do this by. Certainly isn't the high priest that I have to go to. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You know where my authority comes from. You don't need me to answer. You know. You know. I've, I've, I've encountered worldly people who are not churched, who know the power of God, who know the authority of God. I, I've had the world tell me how I'm supposed to live better than the church. Do something in front of a worldly person that they think might be just a little bit off character or out of the church norm, and boy, they'll tell you right away, I thought you were a Christian. Jesus gave them this pronouncement. He said, 
get this, boys, publicans. Publicans just mean sinners of all type. And even harlots, sexually perverse people, will advance you in the kingdom. They will get more done in the kingdom than you ever will. Remember in other places where it says there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Do you know what that is? We often think put that with hell. But do you know what that really is? That is when Judaism one day wakes up and realizes that all of the masses that Christianity has won around the world was their prize. That was their reward. One day they're going to be standing on their side with all of their religious practice, and I'm not putting them down, but with all of their religious practice, they're going to one day realize, look who won the world. Not those who had been ordained by God in the beginning, but those who were publicans and harlots and wicked people. They led the way. The Gentiles, with their detestable diet. You know, we eat bacon, you know. Mmm, bacon is my favorite vegetable. <laughs> One day, the original religious system is going to wake up and realize All of this massive sea of humanity could have been ours. And we forfeited our moment in God. Why? Because John was preaching repentance. We think that repentance is only for the sinner. When we're in church and we've been born again, we think there's no more repentance, we're good. <laughs> and in a sense, yes, there's some truth to that because the blood keeps on working for us, right? Amen? Who can say amen to that? But there's also times when we just step left of the path or we step right of the path. And we're not really following the Lord. We're distracted. We're off here. We're off there. We're, we're doing this. We're doing that. And this is what Jesus is getting across to them. Guys, you've lost your way. You're not following me. You just think you are. You lost me a long time ago. When this became about promotion and became about trying to be something and became about getting on the take with Rome and cheating your fellow man at the altars and having a form of godliness without the power thereof because the Ark of the Covenant did not sit behind the veil in the second temple. And when you chose a form of godliness and tried to make things pretty and neat, and conformed to men's practices to satisfy men. You missed the heart of Father God. 
God would rather we were sitting underneath a bridge today with our arms around somebody who needs salvation than for us to just congregate. Now, don't take that to the nth degree because we're commanded to not forsake the assembling of ourselves. This is where we get stirred and fired to change our world. This is where we come together to uphold each other, pray for one another, help one another, give each other a lending hand to get to the next place. But at the end of the day, and this is the end, they would not repent. And a church that won't repent will doom the world to hell. We're supposed to lead by example. John made the way for the Messiah. You and I, like John the Baptist, are nonconformist in the day and age in which we live. We're not conforming to all of the past rituals that everyone of every society and every move would build. We're looking for our God unashamedly, unafraid, ready to be bold and to announce him to the world by signs and wonders and miracles. But the thing that sets us in a different place than John the Baptist is that John was announcing him, you and I carry him. John announced him, but you and I walk with him. John announced him, but you and I have him living in us. And if John the Baptist could upset the whole entire religious system in six months, what can we do in our region? What can we do? Those of you who are streaming, what can we do? Those of you who are listening by radio today, what can we do if we, the true church of Jesus Christ, who are being led by people of a sordid past, who've been forgiven by the power and the blood of Jesus Christ, would live lives of repentance before the world, that they would see our heart is always before him, always broken, always contrite before him, ready to move when he says move, ready to go when he says go, ready to sing when he says sing, ready to dance in a public place, ready to reach out to someone in aisle three at Walmart and watch their life miraculously changed. What will our world be like, church, if we become the repentant church of 2019 and 2020 and 2021 and on and on until the sounding of the trump? What will the world look like by the time we're done? We're the most advantaged people in the world because we not only have come to him in repentance but we live in repentance and we walk in repentance and we have our being in repentance and we live in his spirit walk with him talk with him know him but God forbid that we get lazy and put it in neutral in in 20 and 19 why because the world is needing someone to demonstrate him the world is looking for someone to come out from among them and be separate God is looking for some nonconformists. Uh, 
who won't just be happy with church life and won't be happy with the fact that they go to church and they won't be happy until the entire neighborhood looks like them. God is looking for nonconformists to go into their world and take it out of neutral and drop it down into high drive and get your foot on the accelerator because there's a generation of people waiting to hear the truth. People who've been raised in broken homes and fatherless homes. People who've been raised in addiction. People who've been raised in heartache and mourning and trouble and heartache and, and, and brokenness. They're waiting for a church to stand up and represent him accurately. They're waiting for a people who aren't just sitting around acquiring knowledge but doing something with the knowledge they have. I could sit around and study till I'm purple until my brain swells within my cranium and what good would it do me if I never put it into practice? God's not just looking for those who know that described the first century church. Those were people who knew but Jesus and John were people who do. And we have Christ in us. Would you stand? Father, we don't want to be the people who at the end go, Lord, Lord, we did this, we did that, we did other things. And then have have you to say, well, I I didn't know your works at all. Didn't know you, didn't didn't see anything you did, and didn't see anything you accomplished. Father, we want to be the generation that turns the world upside down. We want to go back to our roots, Father, in Christ, and back to our roots in great men and patriarchs like John the Baptist and Peter and James and John and Thaddeus, Father, and all of the men of renown of the past, Father, who gave their lives for the cause of Jesus Christ and those down through the centuries who have risen, Father, with a word and turned their world upside down. Father, it's our turn. We're up to bat. It's our opportunity, Father, to make our mark on the world. And as the world puts its eyes, Father, on everything but what's right and holy, let us emerge amongst all of the unrighteousness that goes on around us and become the true body of Christ that brings a focus upon you and puts every eye upon you and causes people to look and to long and desire for your return. We've been called to light the way to the marriage supper of the Lamb because you are coming for your bride. We are the lamp lighters of our generation and we should be lighting the lamps of our neighborhoods and our community and our city hall. Father, we, won't, we don't want to be just another gathering of people on an acre of ground who really make no difference. Our job, Father, is to turn our world upside down. We ask for your help knowing, Father, that in our own strength we can do nothing. But with you all things are possible. With every head bowed and every eye closed for just a moment, I'm going to ask those of you who are streaming, you stay with me. Church of Jesus Christ. This is one of the most beautiful gatherings of people I've ever encountered in my life, but I've got a question. and I'm asking it of myself as much as I am you. Have I put my walk with Christ in neutral? 
Have I become too distracted with life around me? Have I forgotten my first love? Has life become more about me and how to get from day to day than it is about you and how I represent you, Father? I want you to think about that for just a moment. I'm going to leave you there for a moment to contemplate. I'm going to move to one more thing. If you're here today and you've never asked the Lord Jesus Christ into your heart, this is your opportunity to ask him. To get on the path of righteousness, holiness, and purity. And something in your heart is telling you the time is now. I want you to know Jesus loves you. He desires you. He came to save the world, not condemn it. He's not asking you to be absolute perfect. He's asking you to come and allow him to make the necessary changes for your life. That your life can change forevermore. That the heartache and the loneliness and the pain and the suffering and the Tough stuff that you're facing right now can be no more in, in an instant when you come to Him. doesn't mean all the bad things goes away. It means you find a way to cope because now you have the answer for life. I'm going to ask you who are streaming with me today to just bow your head and pray. Father, I ask you to come into my heart. I ask you, Lord, to Forgive me. I repent, which means I turn around. I'll do my best to turn around and not live in a sinful fashion anymore. But I'm going to let you be my God. And I'm going to let you lead me into the paths of righteousness. And for the remainder of my life, I say yes to you. And I'll plug myself into a Bible-believing church. And I'll spend the rest of my days learning of you changing in your presence, becoming the man of God, woman of God, child of God, that you'd have me to be. Receive me now in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, please type on the screen and let us know. We would love to know that so that we can continue to pray for you. Come see us right here at 1018 North Cedar in Cameron, Missouri. We'd love to have you. Thanks for listening to this podcast. We would love to connect with you on Facebook or Instagram at Passion Church Mo. Until next time, God bless.